Here's what we're going to be talking about this morning. What if you lived your life like Jesus was with you all the time? What if you lived your life like Jesus was watching what you watch, listening to what you listen to, listening to what you say, seeing how you spent your money? What, What if you lived your life like Jesus was right there? Like, I don't know if you're, if you're like me, but I change the way I am depending on whom I'm around. Okay, now for some people, I, I polled a bunch of people this week, and I would ask little kids, you know, is it, is it okay to change uh, who you are, you know, change how you act around different people? No, you shouldn't ever change who you are, right? You just be yourself. That was the overwhelming thing from little kids. Adults were like, well, it depends. You know, I don't know. What do you mean? You know, see, they always think I'm trying to trap them, which I, which I mostly am. But the thing is, they, 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 no one wants to get trapped. And so, but here's the thing. I change who I am all the time, depending on whom I'm, I'm around. If I'm in a business meeting, I'm a different person than when I'm just hanging with my friends. My family... When we have dinner at dinner time in my house, we act radically different than we would if we were having dinner at your house. And the drive from our house to your house is usually a long speech of why we're to act differently at your house than our house. At our house, sometimes we play this game where, um, and it usually starts with me, where I'll take my napkin and while someone's talking and they're not looking, I try to, I try to shoot my napkin into their water or their... Uh, their milk, okay? We probably wouldn't do that at your house, okay? But we do it because here's what happens. It's all about social context. I'm going to have a conversation with my wife that's going to be radically different than the conversation I have with any of you. Why? Social context. And so what happens with mature people is that they, they assess a situation and they don't change who they are, but they change kind of how they approach the environment. Okay? If I'm watching a, a football game at my house with my buddies, we're going to be super loud. If I'm sitting in church, I'm probably going to be quiet. Why? Social context. Even when I'm with my buddies? Yeah, absolutely. Immature people rarely change who they are in a different social context. This is what we're trying to teach our kids, right? So like, you know, you'll have a company over, for those of you who've had or have young children or will have young children, I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna go down, okay? You have company come over and your son uh, or daughter will bust into the, you know, three or four years old, will bust into the room in their underwear and start like doing a little dance in front of the company, why? And you, you're like, oh, you know, we don't, I don't know what is ha- happening, you know, in the name of Jesus, you know, you're just like, <clears throat> you're all going crazy because, because the kid didn't realize the social context had changed. The night before, you have the video camera out, James Brown is going, and you're like, that's it, come on, this is great, right? They don't know that the social context has changed. Immature people don't understand that, Right? And so, you know, I was at Starbucks the other day, and for those of you who are friends with me on Facebook, uh, I'm more than happy to have many friends on Facebook. That's fine. Uh, I was in line at Starbucks 
shock. And, uh, and the couple in front of me starts making out, like, there. Yeah. I, and they weren't even attractive. And, <laughs> and so, so I... I like, I, so I have, have my cell phone. I, I can't look at them. So I just started Facebooking, you know, um, which I don't know if that's a verb or not, but I started, you know, there's a couple making out in front of me at, at Starbucks, you know, and then, and then, you know, everyone starts replying back to me, you know, it's really you guys, you're just trying to, you know, to get, you know, all this kind of stuff, you know, happens in the, all the comments and everything. But see, that, that's immaturity. They don't, the, the, the social context has changed, and they're either unknowing or unwilling to adapt to it. Immature people are either unknowing or unwilling to adapt to it. Sometimes you'll meet a young man or a young woman, and they're I'm not changing for anybody. This is the way I am. This is who I am. And so you have to jump over all their social hurdles to try and have them fit into your situation. Well, mature people over time realize, you know what? Okay, this isn't the time or the place for that, okay? So we, cha- we, change, based on, we, we change based on who is with us. And this is where we find Jesus and the disciples at the end of Matthew, at the very end of Matthew. It took two years, four months, and we're finally at the end of Matthew. So we're very happy about that. But these are the last words of Jesus, the last words of Matthew. It's, remember, Matthew was a... Uh, a, a it, uh, a Jew who wrote about a Jew who was king of the Jews. We've been talking about the kingdom of God. So these are the last words of Matthew. And it's called the Great Commission. And it started out with Jesus first establishing his authority. He's essentially establishing who he is. And he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And that was our first week in this series. All authority. I have the authority. Therefore, what I'd like you to do is go into all the world and make disciples. And the idea wasn't go, it was, remember the Greek, we talked about having gone into all the world, make disciples of all nations. Having gone, having gotten that job, having gotten that house, wherever you are, make disciples. All authority's been given to me, here's what I'm telling you to do, make disciples. And then he went on, and he said, here's how I want you to do it. The first thing is I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Once they believe, once they repent, baptize them. It's a command. And then a lot of you signed up to be baptized on January 31st. And I I implore you, if you still haven't done that, you're still not knowing what's going on, we have about 11 or 12 people right now signed up. We'd love to have you join us on January 31st, Family Sunday, and we'll we'll get baptized. Some some are old, some are young. It doesn't make any difference. I don't know if you say old. I mean, some are, you know, older than others and... Okay, so, uh, so he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, right? And then he goes on and he says, teaching them, not everything I commanded you, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And that's what we talked about last week. What were the commands of Jesus? If we're supposed to be teaching others and doing it ourselves, what were the commands of Jesus that we're to obey? And then he says this, and if you put it up there, in the NIV it says, and surely I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, typically I don't get involved in, you know, what one word is translated one way and one word is the other way. But in the NIV, this is not a very good translation of the Greek word. 
the Bible that we have has been translated from Greek, okay? And so the, the word that they use surely, the NIV doesn't translate it surely anyplace else but right here. It, it's not that good a translation. A better translation is in the New American Standard, and it says, and lo, <laughs> I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you go, how is lo a better translation? And I don't even know what it means, okay? Lo and, and behold, okay, lo and behold, right? It's the same word, okay? Lo and behold are the same word. So this would say, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And you say, John, that doesn't help me at all because I never use the word behold, right? I, I mean, sometimes I do. I'll come home from work and I'll go, behold, I'm home from work, and, you know, and then the angels, it's very beautiful, but uh, right? doesn't behold sound super angelic and super like there should be stuff ha- buzzing around and stuff happening like that? This is what happens sometimes when we get, when we over-spiritualize certain words. Behold just means hey, okay? Watch. The, the Greek word for lo and behold is edu. There we go. This is a Greek, edu. And if you could put the definition up here, that'd be great. Edu is used at the, at the close of a narrative when something new is introduced and calling attention. So there, there's a, there, uh, what happens with behold is there's a, a section of scripture or a narrative or whatever's going on, and then, hey, guess what happened? Check this out, okay? So what I did was I took the liberty of taking some famous scripture and inserting Instead of behold, what we'd normally say to each other. We're going somewhere with this. You're like, you didn't have much to do this week. No, <laughs> we're going somewhere, okay? So check this out. This is behold use. Do you not say four months more than the harvest? Dude, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. That's something we would say. That is behold. Okay, now we, we make it super spiritual. Behold, and the angels flow, but it's just you say there's four more months to the harvest? Dude, open your eyes. Take a look at it. Hey, right? Here's another one. This is another behold. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And get this. The heavens were opened and he saw a spirit of God descending like a dove. This is what we would normally say in place of behold. I was going through the parking lot. Get this. I saw Rihanna or whatever. I mean, whoever you think. All right? I'm going through, the, I went to the store, I drove, I almost got a ticket again, and get this, new statement, okay? Next one. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, check this out, the sower went out to sow, okay? That's what we do if we were telling a story. If I were telling a story, I'd go, you know, check this out, and I'd start. It's a, it's a new thing. Behold, it's, it's not super spiritual, not super fancy, okay? We're going we're gonna to go somewhere with this. L- last one. Do not complain, brethren, against, anyone, uh, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. Hey, the judge is standing right at the door. So here's what happens. Jesus is standing on the mountain. And he says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And hey, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, 
it's very important for us to understand this. Jesus, did, it wasn't behold, it wasn't lo. I mean, that's what we translate it, and those, those are fine translations. But, but it's, hey, I'm with you always. Always. Even to the end of the age. Now, here's the thing that's so important for us to understand. While our social context may change wherever we are, so you go into Starbucks, don't make out in Starbucks, okay? You go, you know, you're, you act one way in front of a football game, you act another way with your buddies, you act another way in a business meeting, you act another way in a board meeting, you act different ways in different places because your social setting changes. This is what Jesus is saying. Dude, <laughs> your spiritual context never changes. Our social context changes by who's around us, right? Our spiritual context never changes because Christ is always with us. And so we always act in a way as though Christ were with us. Now, again, our social context may change and it might, the, the Spirit of God might manifest Himself differently in different situations. Okay, I'm speaking to you, if I, if I came home and started speaking to my kids this way, you know, as I'm preaching or whatever, they, it, 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 wouldn't, it wouldn't fly. I'm telling you that right now. Okay, but it, it changes. But the spiritual context never changes. Christ is with me right now. He's with me when I'm watching football. He's with our whole family when we're out to dinner. The spiritual context never changes. And it's vital for us to understand this. Because your circumstances and your social context are going to change all day long, all week long, all month long, all through 2010. All through 2010, you are going to be placed in situation after situation that is going to change your social context. But your spiritual context will never change. Christ is with you. I want to read a section of scripture that Paul wrote he really understood this. He really understood this. And here, here's what he says. It's in 1 Corinthians 9, uh, started in 19. I, I didn't write down all this section, but we'll put up some on the board when I, when I get to it there. On the board? What am I, I have a chalk in my hand? I mean, <laughs> on, the, on the wall. <laughs> Golly. Okay. <laughs> all right. Here we go. Social context changes now. All right, all right. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Listen to this. Though I'm free, Paul's establishing uh, his social context. Though I'm free uh, and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Why, Paul? Because my spiritual context doesn't change. I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. No matter what situation I'm in, I change it so that I can win as many as possible. And he goes on, he kind of elaborates a little bit to show how far he's really willing to go. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. Well, why would you do that? To win the Jews? To those under the law, I become like one under the law. And then he even clarifies, though I myself am not under the law. Why would you do that, Paul? Just be yourself. No. So as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I become like one not having the law. Though I'm not free from God's law, but under Christ's law. Why? Why would you do that? So I might win those not having the law. And then he says this. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. 
I've become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. It does not matter what my social context throws at me. I will change because my spiritual context never changes. To win some, to win some, to win, to win the Jew, to win the lost, to win the slave, to win the free. You see that? He changes all, he, all uh, it doesn't matter. Because the spiritual context stays the same. Now, why do you do all this? I mean, I mean, America, the whole point of America is to be yourself, to be the, I mean, you watch any Disney movie and the whole thing is, you know, everyone wants the person to conform and they don't. And at the end, because they're so unique and so not, blah, 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 you know, it saves the day. Listen, be yourself. God's created you uniquely. You have a certain shape, certain gifts that God's given you. But your spiritual context should never, ever change. He goes on, I do it for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings, that I might actually sense what it's like to have Christ with me every second of every day and us looking at every situation together and going, what would you have me to do? It gets so bad for Paul, this idea of living like Christ is with you, that he he writes to the Galatians something phenomenal, something incredible. See, I don't, have you ever been around a couple that's been, that's been together for a long time and they kind of act the same and do the same and sometimes they even begin to look the same? I don't know how that happens. But, you know, you, it's, just, it's just weird. You take on the same mannerisms, the same things. You know, Lisa and I, we can, from across, if I'm not having a good time somewhere, she knows from seven and a half miles away. If she sees me, my body language, eye contact, whatever, she just knows because we've been together so long. If, if, yeah, well, anyway, so, and I'll hear about it all the way home, but but the point is, no, the point is when you're around somebody, you begin to take on their mannerisms. This is how bad it gets for Paul. In Galatians 5.20, he says, I've been crucified with Christ, listen, and it's no longer I who live. I don't even, it's not... My social context isn't even an issue because my spiritual context has stayed the same. It goes on, no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, in my flesh and bones, this is so powerful, guys. I live by faith in the Son of God. I live as though he's right there. Not only right there, but controlling everything I do, everything I say, everything I think. That's faith in the Son of God. Hey, He's with you always, even to the end of the age. Dude, He's with you always. And in 2010, you are going to go through many different social um, contexts. And I, 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 I don't know what they're going to be, but some of you are going to lose even more money in 2010. And some of you, are it's going to turn around in 2010. And some of you, your kids are going to do amazing things. And some of you, your kids are going to do horrible things. Your context is going to change. Some of you will lose relationships. Some of you will lose loved ones. Some of you will gain relationships. But here's the thing. Your spiritual context 
in 2010 will never change. Somebody's social context just changed right now, right? This is how easy it is. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, hey, no matter what it is, when you're out in the world, when you're out making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, I want you to know, I am with you always, always. And it's going to get so bad that you won't even be yourself anymore. Because you'll be like Christ. You'll be just like Jesus. It's awesome. That's what we're going to be discussing in our One Month to Live campaign starting January 17th. What's it like to live a month like Jesus is essentially what it comes down to. There's a guy in the um, Old Testament named Joseph. And um, uh, Joseph, there's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jacob, uh, those are kind of the three main dudes in, in Judaism and, and, and Christianity. I mean, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, this is the covenant that God made with his people. He made through Abraham. And it's just the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, Jacob had a son named Joseph. And he loved Joseph. I, this is what I love about the Bible. He loved Joseph more than his other sons. They actually wrote that in the Bible. So for those of you parents who kind of favor one over the other, it's cool. No, I'm kidding. All right. Okay. So, so no, I'm just kidding. Okay. So, so it turned out bad for Joseph because of this. Okay. This is the point I'm trying to make. No, J- Jacob makes Joseph this coat that's just decked out. I mean, it just looks nice. And he doesn't make one for any of the other brothers. And Joseph, uh, you know, like any brother would do, kind of wears his coat probably a little too much. You know, shows up at the dinner table. Hey, guys, it's a little chilly in here. I think I'll wear the coat that dad made me, you know. And his, son, his brothers begin to resent this. And not only that, when his brothers go out and work in the field, the dad will send Junior out to go check on him. And he'll, he comes back and goes, they're just lazy. They're not doing anything. So the, the sons just began to hate Joseph, as you can imagine. I mean, you, you know. And so one day they're working out in the field and uh, Jacob, Jacob says to uh, uh, Joseph, hey, go out and check on your brothers, which he's more than happy to do because it goes great every time. Uh, he goes out there. And while he's a distance off, his brothers decide to murder him. Okay. Now, how many people have wanted to murder a sibling? Okay, no, uh, I'm just playing. So they decide to murder him. Okay, now this is where the story gets amazing. They, all these guys plan on killing Joseph. That's the social context Joseph is about to find himself. So he walks in. Hey, guys, how's it going? They grab him. They strip him of his robe, and they throw him in a ditch. They're all talking about, what should we do, you know? You know, how should we make it go down? You know, they're like, oh, they're like a mob family. And, uh, and that wasn't a good mob family impersonation, <laughs> I understand. So uh, they decide to kill him. And then Reuben says, well, let's just leave him here and we'll come back. And Reuben was going to come back and save him. But in the meantime, some people came, some traitors, not T-R-A-I-T-O-R-S, but T-R-A-D-E-R-S, traitors. They come and the brothers sell Joseph to these guys. And off he goes. Now, now listen, Again, sometimes we read Bible stories and we're like, yay, and David swung his thing around and hit the 
the giant, yay. And we don't get into what's actually going on here. The brothers sell a brother into slavery. He's gone. I mean, he's got to go through, you know, they throw him in the ditch and he's up there, ha ha, very funny guys, you know, come on, let me out, you know, I won't say anything to dad, you know, you're, you know come on, I promise. And all of a sudden, in the ditch, these strangers are looking down, speaking a different language. And he's like, okay, this isn't going too well. They pull him out. They put him on a camel or whatever they did back then. And they take him to Egypt. And you go, well, where in the world is God in all of this? And the, 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 the brothers go back and say he was killed. Putting the dad through. I mean, can you imagine? Oh, yeah, one of your sons died. You'd be complete. You'd be a mess for months and years. And so Joseph's social context changes even more. He gets put on the little slave block, you know, and to be bitted on by everybody. How humiliating. He was in a wealthy family with a really nice robe. And now he's on a slave block without the robe, baby without any clothes on. And he's a Hebrew. And this is Egypt. And guess what? They didn't like each other very much. His social context changed. And he got into a house as a slave for this guy named Potiphar. (laughs) I mean, you talk about social context changing. But in chapter 39 is the most unbelievable statement you'll see in the story. Verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. His social context changed Everything changed, but the Lord was with Joseph. His spiritual context never changed. No matter what was happening to him, in the ditch, on a camel, on the slave block, in Potiphar's house, his spiritual context never changed. Do you know how freeing that is? Do you know what, what, how, how secure that is? For me to know that no matter what happens socially to me, my spiritual context never changes. Joseph goes through all this stuff, and the Lord is with Joseph. And so Joseph began to prosper in that house. And then you go, now, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, God was with him. He's, he's prospering now. But here's, it's interesting. He does prosper a little bit, but here's what it says. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Joseph doesn't even get really much of it. He just, I guess, doesn't get whipped as much or whatever. But, 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 but Potiphar's house begins to be blessed. Someone else is getting the blessing that should belong to him. That's not fair. It wouldn't be fair if you cared about social context. Joseph cares about spiritual context, and that never changed. And so all of a sudden, Potiphar's wife begins looking at Joseph and it's like, I like to change your social context a little bit more, baby. Right? Starts coming on to him. <laughs> okay? He keeps rejecting her. He keeps rejecting her. And finally, she just says, she kicks everybody out of the house. Potiphar is gone. They're all by themselves. And she says, flat out, you can read it in the Bible. I'm not making it up. Come sleep with me. I'm tired. No. It's, <laughs> Okay, all right? Listen, he 
refuses. Okay, and listen to what he says. This is beautiful. This is what he says. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is, is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife, by the way. He doesn't say that, but it's probably what he was trying to remind her of. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Not Potiphar, not his master, God. His spiritual context never changed. The guy's gone through crazy stuff, and all of a sudden, he's in a house alone, and, and she's, you know, coming on to him, and he says, I'm not going to sin against God. And guess what happens? God blesses him, and he gets taken up by angels, and he gets a mansion in heaven. No! She sees that she's now, you know, this ain't going to work, so she frames him for rape. And he goes to jail. Now, where is God in all of that? Now his social context changes and he's in prison. Chapter 39, verse 21 says this, but the Lord was with Joseph. Is that not amazing? You say, but, but he ended up in prison. That's not, that, shouldn't, that shouldn't be the way it goes down. Hey, Jesus is with you right now, no matter what your social context is. He's with you. The question isn't where's Jesus, but how are you going to respond now that you know he's there? How are you going to react to the certain situation? Because that's, that's, all, that's all Joseph knew how to do. So he was there, and all of a sudden he finds favor with the jailer. The, the, the guy who runs the jail, and he just says, you know what, Joseph, you're doing a great job. You have cell block C. It's all yours, or whatever they called it back then. Gives everything to Joseph, leaves it in his hands. And you go, oh, wow, way to go, Joseph. You're the king of the jail, right? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. He was with him when he was with his dad. He was with him when he was in a ditch, when he was taken by uh, traders, when he was on the trading block, when he was at Potiphar's house, when he was in jail. The Lord was with Joseph. His social context has changed radically over the years. And then the, the, the king has this cupbearer, and he gets on the king's nerves, and he goes to jail, and there he is with, with Joseph. And Joseph can interpret dreams. God's given him this gift. And he interprets the dream of the cupbearer and the baker as well. Not the candlestick maker. No. Uh, <laughs> a chief cupbearer. And he says, he says, don't, for, I, I, when you get back to the king, don't forget me. And the guy's like, yeah, no, no sweat. Okay, listen to what it says. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Now, let me tell you something. I serve a big God. My God can remind the cupbearer that I was in prison. Isn't that right? I mean, how much is it for God to go wake him up in the middle of the night? Ooh, remember Joseph. And then, you know, he's like, wow, man, I forgot. God could have done that. Why didn't God do that? After all Joseph did for God, the Lord was with Joseph. It didn't matter. And finally, he does remember him, and the Pharaoh brings Joseph up, 
And he, Pharaoh has these dreams. He doesn't get them. And the cupbearer's like, oh, yeah, Joseph. Now I remember. Right? And so he, 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 they go down and get him. And off he goes up in front of the king. And the king goes, I hear you can interpret dreams. Get this, guys. This is so vitally important. God got him traded by slaves out of his house, left his whole family. God got him put in prison. You know, I mean, Joseph has a lot to be angry at God about, right? And this is Joseph's shot to go, you know what? Bump it. I'm doing it on my own. Yeah, that's right. I can interpret dreams. What do you, what do you got for me? And if I do it, you know, let me go. This is what he says. So classic. This is, he, he responded exactly like someone would respond if they knew God were with them. He responds exactly like someone would respond if they knew God was with them. Joseph then answered Pharaoh saying, oh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. It's not me. It's the God who's with me. See, he understood his spiritual context never changed. And later on in the story, he finally meets back up with his brothers. And you got to read it. It's kind of long. It's from chapter like 37 to 50. So it's a 13 chapters. But it's fun. A great story to read around with the family. Um, except for the sleep with me part. You might have to change that when the kids. So, um, but you, you, he, he's there in front of the king. And, and he gets in charge of all of Egypt. And you think, oh, finally, Joseph got what was coming to him. God blessed him. Listen, God was blessing him all along the way by being with him. And God is blessing you right now. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, God is blessing you right now, despite your social circumstance. And Joseph understood this, and his brothers came back, and he, he did pull a couple tricks on his brothers just to kind of get them back. But finally he said, okay, no, it's enough's enough. And they became restored. And here's the amazing thing Joseph says to his brothers. You intended to harm me. You intended that, that the social context you were going to place me in was going to make a difference. You thought that was going to injure me. You thought by placing me in a different social context, God was not going to be with me. But he goes on, he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. God intended it for good. The social context had no bearing on it at all other than to fulfill what God was already doing. Listen, church, I cannot tell you what's going to happen to you in 2010. We, we saw the video of what happened in 2009, and most of that stuff was a shock. And, and when you fill out your flaps, and, and, and when we get them, and we pray for them during the week, and they say, pray for this sickness, pray for me to get a job, pray for my kids, we do that, and we pray blessing upon you, and we pray that, that you would get that job, and that you would be healed. But here's the thing. We don't know what God is doing in your life, but I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, He is with you. Always. Even to the end of the age. 